Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. And uh, hopefully, God willing, I will do my best to have it be educational and entertaining at the same time, right? Try to juggle those two balls, which lots of times I do not do. (laughs) Probably most of the times I do not do. But um, hopefully things are going well with you. A farmer to farmer update here, like they had like today, they have B to B, business to business. So this is, must be F to F, farmer to farmer. Maybe I should start a, a web page for that or whatever, a social media group. Forget about it. That stuff, that stuff to me is a waste of time. And if if somebody out there does not feel that way, then I do, do not mean to be disrespectful, but I just find it that. So, uh, Anyway, farmer to farmer, extremely dry here, terrible. Uh, I have, uh, well, by the time you listen to this, I'll have my third planting in the ground, and I don't think we're supposed to get any rain, according to the weatherman, but that is not according, but uh, rain and weather and everything in life is not according to the weatherman, right? It's according to our Lord. But there is no prediction of any rain, of any consequence of anything here. So it is definitely a walk of faith on the Bohax farm again this year. You know, in agriculture, we say it's next year country. Well, I've never had to say it's next year country uh, at the end of May as it rolls into June. I mean, that's usually maybe August or September. He said it's next year country because you got the, you uh, saw what everything that went wrong. But what are we going to do? The thing is that we have to uh, give the Lord the opportunity to uh, bless the seed. If we leave the seed in the bag and do not trust in him and put it in the ground, then we are not giving him any opportunity to bless it because the corn is not going to grow in the bag, right? So... Uh, that's where we're moving forward and you know so many times and i apologize to you listeners if you find that i go off on a tangent and make so many uh analogies or metaphors about life and of different things but i really feel that that's uh, that's who i am so i apologize if it's uh, not something that someone wants to hear but you know in life you have to make decisions and every decision cannot be or most decisions, I should say, should not be based upon financial consequences, positive or negative. Do I live in the real world? Of course I do. Do I have bills to pay? Of course I do. Do I have to be a good steward of what the Lord has trusted me? Of course I do. But the fact of the matter is that uh, if I was to look at this as a business sense, and I'm talking about the dry the drought we're having, and I don't think it's called a flash drought, I think it's a real drought, but anyway, uh, then you would say, cut your losses, don't put any more, you have some seed, put whatever you, what you have, put it, put it, put some in the ground, cut your losses, put everything away, and forget about it, because at this particular point, then we are, you're not going to most likely have a crop, and that end may end up being that way, or may not end up being that way, but, the point is that in life, I feel, and, that's, and again, this is the world according to me, you don't have to agree with this logic whatsoever, that you need to not make decisions in the core, the important things of your life. 
I shouldn't say the core things based upon boy my mouth is making some kind of funny noises I hear it in the microphone based upon uh, finances alone because if you look at finances alone and make the proper fine or what what the world feels is the proper financial decision or the smart financial decision that is that is usually the wrong decision in God's eyes and if you look at the look at the world today, but we'll forget about the world, we'll look at the United States. The decisions that we've made as a country, the decisions that we've made, uh, that co- companies made as, uh, have been short-term decisions based upon what's right for me right now, what's right right now. And um, a good friend and who is a listener of the show who will remain anonymous, uh, just came back or headed back east from a uh, road trip from out in Iowa and heading back this way and he uh, was talking to him over the cell phone and we were I texted him a couple of times I really shouldn't have te- done that but uh, he's very very efficient with that stuff but still but we spoke on the cell phone a couple of times and then he sent me pictures of different areas because I've run the route that he has run I've run many 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 times over the past 30 years or more than 30 years and it's just and he took pictures of the different exits and the different areas that i have a completely different memory of them not that my memory is wrong on how they've changed and so does the world really need another strip mall or maybe um does it need another fast food place does it need (laughs) does it need anything like that i have to in my opinion no and uh and for instance, he was going to Elkhart, Indiana, and uh, I remember Elkhart, Indiana vividly and have very, very uh, wonderful memories of the outskirts of Elkhart, Indiana. I've never been in downtown Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, the city limits the outskirts of Elkhart, Indiana, because when my sister went to school in Kansas City, we used to go out that way to go see her. I used to take my mother in my old Dodge Dart. And uh, Elkhart was just, I'd say, just about the fifth, the halfway point between here and Kansas City. And it was, there was a, um, off of I-80, I-80, 80, 90 in the Ohio Turnpike, I mean, Indiana Turnpike there. It's all the same Ohio Turnpike, Indiana Turnpike. There's 80, 90 in those two turnpikes. But anyway, uh there you could get off that Elkhart exit and uh there was at the time many many years ago i'm dating myself uh a brand new red roof inn and we used to stay there and then there was a perkins restaurant right next to it i think the perkins was built about a year or so later than the red roof inn but anyway uh it was a two-lane road one lane in each direction no sidewalks i think there was a sohio gas station kind of catty cornered uh, from the uh, Red Roof Inn, and there was nothing else. There was cornfields behind it. Um, and I remember Sohio used to name their gas, and I believe there was the, uh, I think, boron, like the like the nutrient, was, the, was regular. And then there was uh, octron, which was the high test, the premium. And then there was cetron, 
if I remember correctly, and that was unleaded. But I had a 68 Dodge Dart with a 225. It didn't need no unleaded, so we used to put the bar on in it. And I thought that was so cool because the world was so different when you traveled someplace. Everything didn't look the same. It wasn't the same. I mean, how many, 40 years later, I still remember the names of the gasoline and how it influenced me. Not influenced me, but it was it was different, right, than we had back east and uh, that was all that was there at the red roof inn but at the red roof inn uh if you were facing the main road so you were facing towards uh, your right your right would be to- back towards route 80 so 80 goes east and west so that had to be i would guess uh east if you go that would be on the south side uh was the hotel if i don't have this messed up in my head but anyway regardless between the red roof inn and where the uh, Perkins was there was a dirt there was a dirt lane a dirt road there it was wider by the hotel and then it got narrower past the hotel's property and went back it was all cornfields and it went back uh, that way it wasn't a private lane it went back into the farms and I remember as a young boy I would walk back down that dirt road and there was a beautiful pond there so it was it was fantastic because uh, I walked around maybe 300 feet 400 feet from the Red Roof Inn down this dirt road I've always loved dirt roads and then there was this beautiful pond back there and, and the corn and there was a, quite a quite a big cornfield back there from my recollection I mean much bigger than we had in New Jersey but also on the, the narrower part when you came off the off the paved road the paved street there and the red roof inn was there the uh that was a stopping point for anchor motor freight and anchor motor freight used to predominantly haul all of gm's cars from the car factories and not that far away from uh well it's i say not that far away i mean it's uh, in ohio near youngstown and this was in indiana so it was a couple hundred miles away was was the lordstown assembly plant that we used to ride by and that was actually probably the first assembly plant i saw as a young boy i was i fell in love with it i was it was just unbelievable but anyway we rode by in the highway there and uh what happened is the anchor motor freight drivers used to stop there and then they used to park their rigs i mean maybe two three or four of them they were sometimes they were running in the convoy and they were delivering the same cars to more or less the same area sometimes they were not so it was so cool because they were parked in the wider part of the dirt dirt road before it actually became a dirt road and then um i'd be able to look at the cars and i remember they were uh, coming out of the lordstown plant and they were chevy monzas and and pontiac starfires and uh oldsmobile uh oldsmobile starfires pontiac sunbirds chevy monzas and what was the other one oldsmobile pontiac chevy i guess that was it right buick buick sky sky hawks and uh i used to look at the car carriers and look they were all they were gmc either brigadiers or i think top kicks uh gm so uh brigadiers of top kick or generals and uh, they were all they had detroit diesels in them and they were brand new at the time maybe a year or two old and uh fantastic i mean uh just absolutely loved it but anyway uh my friend sent me pictures of that area the red roof in is still there he says that the perkins is on the other side of interstate 80 it means they knocked it down it's four lanes now with traffic lights and uh, and every stores all over the place sidewalks it was not anything that i remembered and whatsoever 
And then he and I were discussing, and he is a father, and I am not a father. So rightfully so, he looks at life through a different a different lens than I do because he has to uh, a son and child to 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 raise and uh, and put on the right path of life whereas I do not have that I just have animals that I have to put on the right path of life or try to but I said you know a young ray would never come away from that trip back from 40 years ago that uh with the same memories and the same experiences that today that the young ray of many years ago didn't and i'm just saying i'm not using me as a standard like uh, so basically a young boy with the same dreams and aspirations and awe of the world and of america that i had back then i should say awe of america meaning i say the world meaning the american world i never had any interest in europe or any place no disrespect but whatever but um and and he got back to me and said to me well you would you would have different ones and i got back to him and i said i really don't think so because of the picture all of the things that awed me no longer exist or if they do exist they exist in a watered down state for instance like the gm lordstown assembly plant which will always hold my heart because uh, it was the first auto plant i saw it was massive and uh they made the vega there and other cars and uh what have you and it was just to see this it was it was it was, it was unbelievable right i mean it was beautiful plant and beautiful grounds and now uh, thanks to our thanks to mary barra she closed that plant down and then it was supposed to be lordstown motors and they went it just it's going to become uh, I, I'm probably going to see a wrecking ball next they actually i just found out they're starting to try to assemble when i say try try to assemble uh monarch electric tractors there which is uh, in partnership with foxconn that makes the uh i think the apple iphones and uh, whatever i mean it's uh like i say you're gonna it's very hard to ride by and even though the building has only been closed for a couple of years when gm had it they kept just from the interest from 80 90 near ohio turnpike you can see it was gorgeous i mean everything was manicured there was flowers out front there was the cars that were built the model whatever on display the building was painted up home to the vega what you know i'm saying and they're fantastic and now you go by and look at it and there's weeds coming up in the i mean the the parking lot with the employee parking lot was filled with cars when it was general motors when it but by years ago there was cars there was it was un, it was it was dynamic it was active it's alive and now it looks almost like a because uh, i've been by there and it often to tell you the truth as 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 upsetting as it is to me the times i have gone by since that plant closed i actually turn my head the other way while i'm driving because i don't want to see it it's like seeing an an elderly person in their decline and either in a hospital or a nursing home knowing that they will never be what you remember them to be and it's coming to the end of the top and the end of the road so it's very hard in my estimation for um, and i feel sorry for young people because it's not their fault they're not going to be given the opportunities to be awed uh if they go to elkhart indiana and it looks just like any place else in the world the same stores are there the same type of road is there the dirt road is no longer there there's no, everything it, it looks you can't tell whether you're in elkhart indiana or in in, in new york long island or in, in, in new jersey or connecticut or pennsylvania or oklahoma it makes no difference it all looks the same and it all looks the same and that uh and that and it's going to be very hard for a young person in my estimation to be awed uh 
by, for instance, using the Lordstown assembly plant that looks half shuttered with weeds growing up out of the parking lot and a Mickey Mouse little sign saying, uh, um, well, I think it says ride now or something. I don't know. So crazy. But hopefully, God willing, I'm wrong and there will be wonderful memories and everything made. But uh, he sent me some other pictures along the way of different places. I remember like Harlem Avenue, which is west of Chicago on I-80. Then he sent me a picture of the exit, and I could see that there's a concrete divider. It's four lanes. There's street lights, and I know that Harlem Avenue, whereas back years ago I stopped there on my way to the Bonneville Salt Flats back in '91 and slept in my Lincoln. It was all cornfields and a little truck stop with a gravel lot. And now forget about it. it looks like uh, it's shopping centers and stores and what have you. So I guess to some people that's progress. To me, that's regression. But anyway. And that is that. Sorry for wasting your time with that. But uh, it is, uh, I guess it's just what we have to deal with today, right? But what is our discussion going to be? Our discussion today is going to be not about a stroll down memory lane for me as I take advantage of your ear and force feed you my thoughts and my visions and my whatever, my... uh, how I saw things years ago and still today. But what we're going to talk about is getting your engines, and that engine could be on a farm tractor, that could be on a truck, a car, anything. Getting your engines, your even your uh, lawnmower, right? Uh, ready for the hot weather. And we have to recognize that engines and machinery of all type, do they're like Goldilocks. They don't want the porridge too hot or too cold machinery of all types loves tempered weather so if you would if you could actually talk to an engine talk to a transmission talk to an alternator all right talk to anything and say what you know what kind of weather do you like and they say probably about 60 60 65 between 60 and 70 degrees low humidity all right and that's when we would be the happiest right so uh and then in the winter time <clears throat> they don't like that they don't like the cold and then in the summertime they don't like the heat but most people think of getting their engines ready for the winter for the cold and yeah there's certain things you got to do for that but there's also certain things you have to do for your machinery in the summertime but you have to keep one thing in mind that the summertime is harder on machinery and and i'm saying uh, an area with a traditional summer than the coldest of winters are unless you're really really up maybe in the north pole and it's 50 45 50 or parts of canada montana where it's 50 below zero but even if you're at five or 10 or 15 below zero f it is not as hard on equipment as a 96 like yesterday before i recorded this it was 96 degrees here i could just see whatever semblance of i mean i went into hackett's down and i swear to god within three hours came i went back three hours later the the lawn in front of the m&m candy factory turned brown i mean so it's like withering everything is i'm not laughing withering before your eyes and then today is overcast no rain but 69 degrees so it's actually the inverse right 96 69 overnight that's the kind of digital weather pattern we've been having here in new jersey in warren county i should say because i don't know the rest of new jersey but over here in my little piece of this globe but uh 
a 96 or 100 degree day is a lot harder on equipment than a 15 degree below zero morning that you're trying to get an engine started or a piece of equipment working or moving or hydraulic system. And you have to reason, the reason why is number one is that machinery when it's operating produces heat. So so that, let's say, freeze your earth to take 100 degrees Fahrenheit starting point, ambient temperature, even though it was 96 yesterday, but say 100 freeze your arithmetic, that's the starting point. Everything is going to get much hotter from there. Whereas if you had 10 degrees below zero F, that's the starting point, and then the engine runs, it's going to start to make, it's it's making its own heat, and the under hood area, so you may say, well, the exhaust gas temperature is the same, and that'd be 100% correct, that the, that the, uh, that the flame temperature, the leading edge flame temperature in the cylinder is the same uh, on a 40, deg- on a 10 degree, 20, 40 degree below zero day, as it is on a 100 degree day, and you'd be 100% correct, but now, since your starting point is 100 degrees, all of the underhood components, all of the everything, the transmission, the exhaust, the brakes, the, the, the brake fluid, everything is starting at a much higher elevated point. And that is something that we need to recognize because an engine is going to suffer. And what I mean by suffer, not that's not going to run, all right, but it's going to have a, a it's going to be exposed to a, a certain type of wear that it would not be exposed to in a very extreme cold. And the reason why I'm saying extreme, because as I said a few minutes ago, an engine likes the temperate weather, right? Right in the middle, in between. It likes those beautiful days when it's not too hot, not too cold. Excuse me, I took a drink of water. But now let's look at, <clears throat> and it makes no difference what the engine is. So the first thing I want you to recognize is that its starting point, I mean starting, it's in the ambient temperature is substantially higher. So that means an alternator that would maybe reach 200 degrees with the hood closed, with the engine hot on a winter day. I'll use winter day instead of, a, instead of a, I keep identifying temperatures. On a cold winter day, it would maybe only reach 200 degrees. Well, now reach 300 degrees because it's going to be 150 or 200 degrees hotter because it's starting at a higher ambient temperature so whatever if those numbers are skewing a little bit but they are going that is that is act that is real now the other thing to keep in mind is that every piece of machinery every piece of equipment and i don't care if it's your lawnmower if you were to look at your lawnmower and let's say it's an autumn day and it's chilly and you're running the engine on your lawnmower and using it to mulch up leaves. And let's say it's 100 degrees and you're starting your lawnmower and you're using it to cut your grass. The oil temperature, which no one looks at on a lawnmower, or right, I guess the, only the people who make the engines, the oil temperature, excuse me, is going to be substantially higher so you may say, well, okay, well, it's going to be 50 degrees higher, right? Because if it's 50 degrees out when I'm mulching leaves and it's 100 degrees out when I'm cutting when I'm cutting the grass, then it's going to be 50 degrees higher. And in theory, that would be correct. 
but that number extrapolates out to a higher number because everything else around it, because you have to recognize that hot goes to cold, all right? So the thermal transfer from the muffler is going to be less efficient, all right? And it's going to put more heat into the engine block. I'm talking a lawnmower, simplistic case, right? A five horsepower Briggs and Stratton engine. You say, well, how can that be? Because the exhaust gas temperature is the same, but hot goes to cold. So if the air, let's say that the muffler is 400 degrees, making arbitrary numbers, which is probably does run about 400 degrees, 400 degrees, and the air temperature is 50, there's going to be more of, it's going to reject more of that heat into the atmosphere because the hot wants to go to cold. And now, if it is 400 degrees the exhaust and it's 100 degrees outside, so you so it's going to reject less air into the atmosphere. So the rate of rejection, or I shouldn't say less air, less heat, the rate of rejection is going to be much less. So it's going to be less efficient as far as take, so what's going to ha- taking that heat and giving it up, which is the rejection into the atmosphere because the differential in temperature is not that is not that great or less i should say it's still great from 400 to 50 degrees is is big that from 400 to 100 degrees is is not as much of a differential so that differential makes a big difference all right and the other thing that comes into play on a modern vehicle and that's a farm tractor too right modern not not something like i have which is old fat and old-fashioned no air conditioning, no anything, is that when you're running an air conditioner on any engine, you have to remember on any piece of equipment, car, vehicle, or piece of equipment, that the condenser for the air conditioner is first in line. So that is what is going to be getting the, 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 what they call it, the air side. So that is going to be getting the most, the, the coolest ambient air, even if it's 100 degrees outside, right? It's going to be getting 100 degree air. And the thing is that now that air is going to pass through that condenser. So you're running down the road and you got that air conditioner on, you hear that, con- that compressor clicking on off and the duct, the, the, the discharge temperature from the duct is nice, nice and cool, and you're nice and cool and you're happy as a lock, all right? So the thing basically is, is that it lulls you psychologically to <clears throat> to all of us that thinking that everything in the vehicle or a piece of equipment is is cool also because you're cool, right? The thing is, so now you're going to be feeding into the radiator if the next if the next uh, component usually is the radiator or if you could have an intercooler if it's turbocharged but forget about that so you're feeding now this air is maybe 200 degrees because it gained 100 degrees from the condenser the thermal change from the condenser which makes the air conditioning work all right now it's going into that radiator and it's entering at 200 degrees Whereas on a 50 degree day, when the air conditioner was off, even though that the condenser was an airflow restriction, it was not a thermal change restriction. So what happens is that you had the cooler air going into the radiator. So now we basically, in essence, if you're running an air conditioner on an engine, it would be akin to having the air that's coming into the radiator the air side of the radiator because remember a radiator is a heat exchanger 
So you'd have the air side of the radiator be akin to, let's say if it's 200 degrees coming into the radiator, then there would be like a 200 degree day with an, on a vehicle with no on a vehicle or machine with no air conditioning. So let's say like my Ford Ranger. My Ford Ranger has no air conditioning. So I have this radiator. So the air that would be going through the core of my radiator through the fins on on a hundred degree day would be ambient temperature would be a hundred degrees. All right. On if I had a ranger using that as an example with air conditioning, and I was running the air conditioner, and the air that was coming across the across the condenser, and then traveling to the radiator, so it, got, it was a hundred degrees coming into the condenser air side. It picked up another hundred degrees, so now it's two hundred. So now it's going into the radiator. So in essence, I would need on my ranger, which is no air conditioning, so you don't get confused. 200 degrees outside to get the same temperature air going into the core of the of the of the guy next door to me who has the same ranger which he doesn't making it up all right on a hundred degree day with him running the air conditioner so now i'm taking 200 degree air putting it into the radiator and the radiator the coolant coming into the radiator is 230 degrees so now my efficiency on my radiator all right is dropping down dramatically because there's only a 30 degree differential in the temperature of the air side incoming air versus the liquid side so it's air to liquid so now you go and you look underneath the hood you look at the exhaust system just like we had the the exhaust manifold so just like we were talking about the lawnmower engine, the amount of heat that the muffler can reject or give up into the atmosphere. So now your exhaust manifolds, yes, because your exhaust, the exhaust gas temperature is the same. Not going to deny that. Let's say it's running 1,000, 1,200, 1,300 degrees on the load. All right. The thing is going down the road. So now we have this exhaust temperature of well say 1200 degrees but now we have everything else under the hood that's very elevated in temperature by another 100 or 150 degrees because of the temperature outside so 50 degrees hotter it's 100 degrees outside plus we're making other heat we don't have the heat rejection into the atmosphere and now we're seeing that everything under the hood is greatly elevated all right so now if you look at all of machinery and compare it to an animal or compare it to a human being or compare it to a plant remember i was saying well geez you know in a couple of hours when i went back to hackettstown in 96 degrees weather and no 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 rain that the grass the grass started to dry up in a couple hours and die all right well you have to recognize that every piece of machinery every fluid every gasket every wire all right uh so has a thermal threshold so just like they say right the weatherman says i have a my 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 weather station is a uh, davis vantage view and uh, you know it, it calculates wind chill or, or chill wind chill in the winter time and then heat index in the summer which i was never uh, 
a proponent of that. I'm not a proponent of it, but I never felt prey to that because years ago you came out and the cornfield was hot, whatever it was. And that's all, oh, you know, and uh, so whatever it was, it was. But what they do is that they look at the at the humidity, the dampness for the winter, and then the air temperature, and they also look at the, the wind speed, and then they calculate this whatever, uh, what a few, they call it back here, in on the news it feels like well it's 40 degrees outside but it actually feels like 28 because of the dampness in the wind right back years ago said it felt cold we didn't have to tell a number and then they do the same thing what they call it heat index right well it's the heat index well you know it's 96 degrees outside but it feels like 105 all right so and then my sister is famous for that god bless her <laughs> right uh, the thing is that she goes and says She'll talk to me and says, oh, it's 105 degrees up here. I said, to her nickname is Cookie. I said, Cookie, it's not 105 degrees in Buffalo. All right, it's the heat index. I heard they said it's 105. I said, no, it feels like 105. But what feels like 105 to me may not feel like 105 to you. You, you may have 80 degrees that feels like 105 to you. So whatever, so it's just... Um, I wish they didn't get involved in it. The temperature is the temperature, whatever it is, whatever it feels like to you. You can meet a guy in the, from North Dakota in the wintertime, and it's 12 degrees outside here and snowing, and he's walking around in a T-shirt, right? I mean, so so because for him, his body is used to it. That's not that's not cold. So this, I don't know what that, I guess this chair is moving. I don't know what that noise was. But anyway, so... Uh, so but the thing is that to an engine and to machinery what is chair starting to make noise sorry about that that engine into machinery is that everything has a threshold so at one particular point your the wires on an engine the insulation starts to break down uh you have to realize that uh, you're running an ac system that the high side pressure is going to go substantially higher the more the hotter the air is so now the high side pressure is going is, is increasing and if the and if the air conditioner lines are older or porous or the seal they have even if they're not older porous, they have o-rings on them right they have seals that that seal may only be able to hold i'm going to make up a number 400 pounds per square inch of pressure and now because of the higher underhood temperature and the higher thermal load on the air conditioner that the refrigerant starts to leak past that seal all right whereas it drops down 20 or 30 degrees it doesn't leak past the seal all right you have an alternator you have the diodes in the alternator at one particular point right just like you put water on a stove right the water on a stove at 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 sea level will boil at approximately two, well 212 degrees all right so if you are up five thousand feet you're up in denver and colorado it's going to boil earlier than sooner at a lower temperature not earlier that's not a good descriptive term it's going to boil maybe at 208 degrees you could do the math and figure it out so the thing is that every mechanical device has a threshold that it could operate in and then once it starts to get above that threshold i'm not going to say it does not operate but what it basically does is it has either loses some of its efficacy or it starts to when i say break down so engine oils right so we have the old get back to the old lawnmower right 
So the engine oil is degraded in the lawnmower, the old Briggs and Stratton, right? And that engine oil could withstand a temperature of X amount of degrees. But now when you look, when you put another 40 or 50 degrees on it, it's beyond its point of being able to provide lubricity. So a lot of these chemicals, these lubricants, these fluids, actually start to break down and not work at all properly or work at all. And if you look at years ago, they used to publish charts, which nobody publishes anything anymore. Everything is a big secret. Either either nobody knows or they you know, or they think that I don't know what they think. Or they think that nobody cares. I don't know. But arguably, and I don't remember these numbers uh, verbatim per se, but it's very, very close. So let's say the old Dextron 2 transmission fluid, automatic transmission fluid, or Dextron transmission fluid, it may have had a life of 100,000 miles. And, and, and th- these are close to being good numbers, all right? 100,000 miles at a temperature up to 200 degrees, all right? Then once you got from 200 to 250, all right, then degrees Fahrenheit, that the life cycle of that dextron transmission fluid went from 100,000 miles to 60,000 miles. So basically, if you were to keep that fluid at 200 degrees, all right, it would it would only be last 60,000 miles. All right, so now 250 degrees. Now you bring that fluid up to 270 degrees, 280 degrees, and then closer to 300 degrees, it has a life, it, it has a life cycle, I mean, I don't say cycle, a lifespan of 50 miles. So, and it, and that doesn't mean once the fluid cools off from 280, 300 degrees, that it's going to come back to its 100,000 mile life cycle. No, it's like putting this bar, a hamburger or a steak on the grill. You burned it, baby. You can't shut the fire off and it becomes unburnt. So all of this is happening inside an engine, inside a transmission, inside a hydraulic system in the equipment. So the, and the first part of this is for you to recognize this, right? For you to recognize that this is, this is, this is going on. All right, you're having this degradation. So am I saying, well, don't drive your car. Don't take your tractor out in the field if it's 100 degrees. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. But but just like you would not consider going out of the house in the morning on in the summertime and, in, and then it's going to be 100 degrees and putting on a parker and a wall hat, all right? The thing is that you, you as a machinery operator and whatever that machinery be, you have to recognize that it's going to need a higher rate of care and, and also that you're going to have to recognize that you're going to have to do what you have what you can to minimize the the word that we use in engineering is the thermal excursion the thermal peak the thermal spike on this equipment when you are using it that's all it's not saying don't use them it's saying if you got to go someplace don't go oh i can't go out because i can't go anyplace because uh, it's 110 degrees here in California, and I can't go to work today, boss. I'm going to call him because I listen to that hot rod farmer. He says, you know, but, you know, it gets back to the same thing that I talk about a zillion times over, all right, that you have to open that hood and let the heat out of any piece of equipment, even on my lawn tractor, 
I will go and I will open the hood every time I get done mowing so the heat dissipates. If I was using a, uh, a push mower, which we don't have anymore, all right, what I would do is on a hot summer day when I shut the engine off for whatever reason, to take a break, to refuel, what have you, I would park push the mower in underneath the shade tree or out of the direct sunlight why so that you would have a bigger temperature differential so that it could reject more of that heat so if it's a if the engine is hot and i'm using 100 degrees outside and i'm cutting the grass and now i have the thermal you have to realize that the surface temperature of things also get influenced from the sun matter of fact i was reading something the other day that uh I think in Death Valley, it was the record is 134 degrees or something. Don't hold me to it. But on a 134 degree day, or a 100 degree day, whatever, let's say use Death Valley, 134 degree Fahrenheit day, that the ground temperature actually from the from the um, the heating of the sun because you have to remember when you say it's 80 degrees outside, you're reading the air temperature. And the air temperature at a certain point but the ground temperature on a 134 degree day on death valley actually the soil temperature ground temperature whatever you want to call it actually got near 200 degrees that's why the old saying used to say oh it's so hot you could fry an egg on the sidewalk you could fry an egg on the ground right because the ground temperature because of it's because you have to realize that air doesn't have a lot of mass to it and this sun is beating beating down all right beating down and it is warming that that surface all right any any material that has more mass to it is going to take longer to warm up but it's also going to be able to retain more heat and hold it longer right so common sense if you got into a car and the windows were closed and you got into the car and it's and, and it's a hot summer day it's sitting out in the sun and it has vinyl seats or as my uncle chris used to call it vinyl vinyl <laughs> so uh, he never said vinyl said vinyl all right and you were to measure the air temperature in the car the air temperature in the car is very very hot no night but that vinyl seat if you hold your hand, all right, when you got into the car, your hand wasn't burning, but you touched that vinyl seat, and oh my God, you pick your hand up, right? So how how hot it is, right? Because it absorbed that heat, so it was much higher. So that's the same thing that's happening on equipment, is that we are using an air temperature as a metric, as a scale, as the measuring stick of how hot it is, all right but we're not using a surface temperature and we're not using the surface temperature of an of that piece of equipment that engine that transmission that hydraulic system that ac system so that is substantially hotter so just like a black car the paint will get substantially hotter than a white car because the black is going to absorb it versus reject it so i'm beating this to to add nauseam right so the important thing is for you to recognize that what's the important thing for you to do all right the first thing for you to do is to recognize that when an engine is being run for any length of time you're traveling right you're traveling so uh you're, you're, you're like my 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 friend was coming back from the midwest heading east i don't know how hot it was but whatever but uh 
and you're pulling off the highway, you're, you're stopping with your, your tractor for a couple of minutes, you're, whatever you're doing, right, the engine, all right, your lawn tractor, your farm tractor, your sprayer, whatever, whatever it may be, the most important thing for you to do first is to let the engine idle for a minute or so. We're an impatient world today. We're an impatient society. We want to put something in a microwave years ago. If you warmed it up on the stove, if you had it in five or six minutes, seven minutes, you thought it was fantastic, right? Now we put something in a microwave and it's, you know, you're looking at one minute in a microwave, you say, what the hell is this thing taking so long for? I want to eat this potato. I want to warm up this hamburger, right? So it became a very, very impatient society. So the thing is that if you let an engine idle, for a minute or so, and I'll say a minute, all right? A minute, all right, the thing is that you're going to allow a number of things to happen. I'm talking about an engine, all right? Not the transmission that's going to have benefits also, but talk about the engine because the engine due to combustion has the highest amount of heat in it and the highest amount of heat source. So what is going to allow the coolant system to work and take this coolant and start to pull the heat out of the cylinder head pull heat out of the block, pull heat out of everything and put it into the coolant and hopefully let that reject into the atmosphere. So you're going to allow the cooling system to work a minute longer and getting having the engine working, shutting it right off, all right? So you're going to limit the thermal. I'm not saying sit there for an hour, all right? But one minute, if you count one minute, all right? The, uh, the other thing basically is what a lot of people don't recognize is that in any engine that the oil is also a coolant. So by you letting it run for idle for a minute, all right, you're not only allowing the coolant to do its job <clears throat> and pull the heat out of components, you're allowing the oil to do its job and pull the heat out of the pit, the, the bottom side of the piston, the correct connecting rod, the crankshaft, the valve train, whether it's a, a push rod engine or whether it is an overhead cam engine, that the coolant is acting as a, as, as a, 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 well, I shouldn't say the coolant, the oil is acting as a, as a coolant there and it's allowing those those parts to take some of their heat rejection and put it into and put it into the oil and have the oil dissipated all right so that that makes a big difference then again you get out of the vehicle you open the hood or at the farm tractor whatever you open the hood so you idled it down and you let it open for a minute or so and you open the hood all right and you're letting that heat out all right and the thing is that if you're saying you're going someplace even if you you're going into a rest area in the highway and you don't want to leave the hood open well let me put it this way i wouldn't worry about leaving the hood open because that engine is probably going to be about three or four hundred degrees under there it'll be like somebody sticking their hand in an oven to try to do something to mess with your mess with your engine all right impossible you open that hood you're running hard on a hot summer day with the ac on you open that hood it's like a blast furnace hit you right so you let that go up into the air so you let it idle for a minute my nose is whistling let it idle for a minute and then you open that hood all right that's going to allow the limit the amount of thermal excursion all right but specifically the thermal excursion and that's why i spoke so long about in the beginning is going to be so much higher so if you were a person that says the heck with that hot rod farmer let him go to hell i'm not opening a hood in the winter time i don't care if it's 60 70 degrees then that's fine do what you want but 
do it in the summertime. Do it when the when when I mean, yeah, you're going you're going someplace and you're leaving. You may not be able to do it, right? I understand that, but the, it's the amount of times that you're able to do it and the amount of thermal excursions. All right. The other thing to keep in mind is that your engine coolant, all right, the additive package gets consumed. Uh, at an exponential rate when it, when the liquid temperature is much higher so your your anti-corrosion package the lubricity package everything that is in the in that that coolant that makes it a coolant all right is going to be dissipated or consumed at a much quicker rate so people think of changing their coolant before the winter and checking it it's more important for you to change it before the engine is going through this high thermal cycles than it is in the winter time because remember that the glycols as long as you don't dilute them with water at a different rate the glycols are never going to lose their ability to not freeze but the idea of all of the other chemical components that make it a coolant that help that coolant and that engine because you have to realize is that those chemical components are there not to protect the coolant they're there to protect what the coolant comes in contact with the engine all right and if you have a a turbocharged engine almost every turbocharged engine today has a uh liquid-cooled center section that they are running that they are running the engine cooling through there you have a, a modern diesel uh, most modern diesels have a a liquid-cooled egr they have an egr cooler usually they use a different circuit they don't use the engine cooling for that but keep that in mind and and you so you want to try to protect those areas that the coolant comes in contact with you're not protecting the coolant you're protecting the engine by allowing the coolant to have the proper additives in it so it's more important for you to have that coolant renewed prior to the summer than prior to the winter all right but people people don't look at them even repair facility i'll get your car ready for the winter let's change your antifreeze all right you should have changed your antifreeze in in april before it got hot then it'll be more it'll be fine in the winter time all right keep in mind that if you're running hard when i say running hard i mean anything is running hard when it's hotter side is that it's more important for you to have fresh oil in that crankcase because then again not only is the oil going to lose its additives but the oil will break down and when and break down and lose its lubricity uh of good degree of its lubricity so it's very important for you to change that oil or have that oil with less use on it and if that oil is diluted with gasoline in it with fuel in it or what have you or just has a lot of a lot of use on it whether it be at hours or miles the thing is that it's already broken down so now you have meaning that it's not what it was what it was made it's not the same as as it was made and it's going to lose its ability to 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 lubricate and it's also going to lose its ability once it goes once it becomes broken down to act as a coolant and cool off the rest of the engine 
all right? Internal parts of the engine, not the external parts. So then again, you know, you don't want your, that, I'm going to use the lawnmower, right? Well, people, let's get it ready for that. We are, change the oil. Well, change the oil before the mowing season and during the mowing season because that's when it's going to see the thermal stress. It's not going to see as much thermal stress mulching leaves on a 40-degree day. It will see thermal stress, but you want it at its best during this hot season. You want everything underneath the hood at its best during this extreme heat because as i said the extreme heat is harder on everything than the extreme cold same thing is with the battery you are more apt to have a battery that's marginal the the cranking battery all right margin failed during the summertime then during the winter time the only thing that will save it possibly a little bit which is which is it it skews the data it skews the psychological data is that because because of the engine has less internal friction on a hundred degree morning than on a zero degree morning is that it's easier for to crank the engine but as far as the battery being degraded is concerned it is going to be degraded at a higher rate going down the road when it's being cooked you're not even really well you're using the battery but you're not cranking the engine over people only think of a battery being you know being there like a like a, an ambulance or something only when you have a heart attack god forbid you need it so yes the battery's weakness becomes very apparent when you go to start an engine on a cold winter morning goes, ah, but you have to realize that that battery is being degraded at a much higher rate when you're going down the highway right and it's two three hundred degrees underneath the hood and that battery is being exposed to that temperature it's it's being degraded at a much higher rate if you look at the rubber components all right under the hood you can't do anything about that all right but if you if you live in a in the climate that is continually hot or i shouldn't say continuously a hotter climate like out in the desert or near the desert or down in florida all right that all of these other components will be the, the belts the hoses will be degraded at a higher rate because they have more time more more running hours at extreme temperature than than and than the vehicle or piece of equipment that, that that only sees a couple of months of that so maybe this sees nine months of extreme underhood temperature in florida and only two months or three months of extreme underhood temperature in massachusetts i'm making up numbers all right so so keep that in mind or if you have a piece of equipment all right that you only use during the hot weather let's say like a sprayer on a farm you're not using a sprayer when you're harvesting crop or maybe after you go and hit the hit the field with something but most of its running hours most of its thermal cycles will be done in an elevated temperature so the thing is that but the take-home message here i'm not saying don't use the equipment don't start the engine don't do i'm not saying that whatsoever if you have some understanding and you apply some common sense to it and understand that a person take a human body let's say at 105 104 degrees it's considered a very high body temperature at 110 degrees or 106 degrees you may die all right so the thing basically is that threshold is very very it's it, it is very very tight so that as those underhood components that engine oil that transmission fluid that brake fluid all right the battery all right everything under everything that's that's mechanical 
it, it could work fine up into a certain threshold. And then once you get beyond that threshold, it's life expectancy. It's when I say it's performance, but it's life expectancy, all right, drops down dramatically and its rate of wear and degradation drops down dramatically. If you look at it so common today on diesel engines and on gasoline engines from the crack cylinder heads, all right, because the castings are thinner, they have less mass to them, they have less strength to them, and the operating temperatures underneath the hood, whether it's a semi, whether it's a, a freight liner, or whether it's a car, or whether it's a farm tractor, you look at the farm tractors today, tier four farm tractors, the under hood temperatures are so much higher than they used to be because if they're tier four and they have a full emission package with a diesel oxidation catalyst all right they have a diesel particulate filter they have a uh, supplemental catalytic selective catalytic reduction system all right they i always called i shouldn't say always i always i make a mistake because originally when that was coming out they were going to call it a supplemental and they then they changed it to a selective catalytic reduction system the way it functioned didn't change but it was that it it its name changed so most farm equipment has this packaged underneath somewhere near the engine underneath the hood all right so you're having a a, a, a dpf diesel particular filter that's running 12 1300 degrees and has a lot of mass to it when it's going into in, in into into region you have a catalytic converter that's running 11 12 1300 degrees when when it when it's functioning in what's called light off that's not region it's the diesel oxidation catalyst so now you're putting a thousand degree heat source not far th- a foot away from the engine block all right so this thermal this this is cooking everything everything and that to me is the main reason or one of the main reasons i should say why this equipment is not going to live 30 40 years like it did years ago because you're baking everything you're baking everything in the sun not in the sun you're baking everything in the heat like something that's being weathered from the sun weather checked from the sun and from the heat if you look at a car that lives out in the desert all right the paint almost gets burned off of it versus a car that lives in alaska or montana or something so the thing is that is that you're getting this heat this heat exhaustion i'm saying it's actually exhausting this equipment but the thing is that you could do these little things and i'm repeating it and you don't go nuts i mean you know I'm not, i don't tell my wife as soon as you get to school pop the hood on the escape and do this i mean i mean you don't you don't do that I, I mean you don't have to do that but when she comes home the times i can limit that thermal excursion i most definitely do so if she drives the car to bloomfield which is 50 miles on a hot on a hot whatever whatever day it is forget about hot all right and the car sits there and it goes into thermal a high thermal excursion a heat soak when she goes parks in the school and goes into the school then she starts the engine she comes home and then when she gets home here and she pulls into the garage i'm there like a like a a, 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 a a, a air force ground crew waiting to receive the plane right i, I said oh, pop the hood pop the hood honey all right and she pops the hood so now basically using that as an example i've limited the thermal excursions by 50 percent 
because when she goes to work, she cooks the engine, nothing she could do about it. She comes home, I don't let it cook. So I'm limiting it by 50%. So so in theory, I and more than theory, I would have 50% of the thermal degradation of everything on that vehicle because I am able to do that when she comes home. On my car, I probably have 75 or 80% less thermal degradation and everything because unless i'm going to a store or something right if i go someplace and do errands and come back or i'm traveling on a road trip i get into a rest area i pop the hood all right so the thing is that and i come back home i pop the hood i have i have that ability to do it so i'm probably getting probably eight only 10 or 20 percent of the thermal degradation on all my underhood components on my particular vehicles because i am because of the use now if i were if i worked in a factory someplace well maybe i wouldn't be able to do that but i would probably be able to pop the hood on the first latch and then if i was in an area where i wasn't concerned with that and let some of the heat out all right then let some of the heat come out just so you want to limit it so if that all it, it it all is very important but if you could idle if you would idle the engine for a minute all right, let the oil do its job, let the transmission, let the, let the coolant do its job, let some of the heat out, all right? Keep in mind that, it, you know, don't put off the oil change or the coolant change till the fall. Do it now, all right? Get the fluids up to snuff and use a little bit of common sense on the front side of the air conditioner, on the, on the condenser, the radiator, keep it as clean as you possibly can, all right? On on uh, on a tier four engine, try to keep a diesel, try to keep it as clean as possible, like any engine, but specifically because you have this high heat source there, all right? And then you do that, all right, you will see that you will, you will add life to everything exponentially what is the exponent is it 10x is it 5x is it 100x only time will tell you all right but if you did not follow those protocols and those procedures then what you would find out is that that i'm not going to say very soon if you get rid of cars and tractors every three or four years you're probably not going to see any degradation that's going to affect you in your in your pocketbook or the piece of equipment's performance for you but the second owner will all right we'll definitely see it whereas the second owner let's say arguably came from somebody who took my advice let's say that there was two of the same things that we piece of equipment they were used the same way farmer a or driver a took <clears throat> my advice driver b did not the second owner of both those vehicles the ones that took my advice the second owner will reap the benefits of your care all right whereas the second owner of the person who did not do that is going to i'm not going to say it's going to be a piece of junk but he's going to have problems with it sooner you know the chinese you i think it was the chinese or japanese had a proverb that said one generation plants the tree the next generation enjoys the shade which is true all right so the thing basically is the first generation he didn't enjoy the shade from the tree so if the if 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 you know uh if you do the things that i that i say and then you get rid of the vehicle or the farm machine in two or three years you didn't enjoy the things you didn't enjoy meaning have the fruit of those things the next owner has the fruit so it all depends on how you live your life all right if you want to keep equipment a long time keep engines or vehicles a long time then heed this advice to me i do the same thing regardless because that's me i'm not saying i'm a standard to judge others by 
but I want to be a good steward of what God gave me. So if I'm, so I don't say, well, this is a lease card. How would I? I'm not opening it. Let it cook. I don't care what happens to it when I give it back in two years. This is a lease tractor. I don't give a damn about it. All right, let the next guy worry about the all the gaskets going bad on and leaking. Well, to me, I mean, I'm I'm not going to be judgmental and say that's the wrong way to lead your life. All right, but I personally think it's a shallow way to lead your life. All right, because you're only caring about yourself and you don't care about what the next person is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, go nuts over it, but the fact of the matter is I am going to take care of it to the best of my ability, all right, that the, and I'm not going to change what I what is the best of my ability because it is not mine. Even when I get a press car or a rental car, I do the same thing. I open the hood, do this, whatever, because that's just what it is. To me, that's what the essence of life is. Do the best you can. So listen, went a little bit long again, but I want to thank you so much and uh, for listening. And I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer's poem for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. Have a blessed day, and hopefully we all get some rain, God willing. Bye-bye.